You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, it's Brandon, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church. So no matter who you are, we are really excited that you have made the radical resolve to give the next hour or so to God. And our one ask is that you would take this sermon and that you would test everything by the Word of God, holding fast to everything that's profitable to set your life up for success so that you can be all that God has called you to be. And we believe that because Scripture tells us so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, during this COVID-19 season of the pandemic, many of us are not gathering regularly in person for our church experience. And maybe you are in between churches all together. And so whether you are local or you are far off in another state, we really do hope that this word today is encouraging and transformative and redemptive and ultimately spurs you on to be more like Jesus. And so thank you for gathering. Lean into all that God has for you. Let's go. Let's grow. Grace and peace. Well, good morning, Redemption City Church. It's Pastor Brandon, and I'm super thankful for this opportunity to bring the Word of God to each and every person that's going to be joining us today for our corporate worship time through the Word. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really, really hope you do, especially in COVID, just the opportunity to go into your room, into your bedroom, to get that physical Bible, just take a moment to do that, because we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 in just a little bit. And believe it or not, I actually said we're going to be in not chapter 1, one, two, three, or four, we've made it to chapter five. And it just took us about, what, 19 sermons to do that. And let me tell you the truth, I've been enjoying and I've been so thankful for this ride with each and every one of you as we've been marching through the book of Ephesians. And so as we continue forward in this series titled Our Story into God's Story, I want to keep reminding you, especially if this is your first time and you're jumping into part two and you're like, what's this all about? This series is all about discovering who you are because of Jesus Christ, and now that you begin to know who you are, what you're called to do in light of that. And so here is what our our big aim is for the Ephesians series, okay? So here's what it is, ready? No matter who you are, whether you've been reading the Bible your whole life and you would consider yourself a matured believer, or this is your first time to church, this is your first time opening up this, this weird, thick, archaic book called the Bible, it is our hope that if you open your heart and you open your mind and you take the next hour or so seriously, that you would have a living encounter with a living book that talks about the living God like you've never had before. Now, last week in this Ephesians series, part 19, titled The Christ-Centered Undressing Event of the Ages, we finished up a conversation that was themed like this, put them all away. And we learned that there are some practical steps that we as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians need to take so that we can become more and more like our Savior. His name is Jesus. We learned that there's five identifiable steps that help us to lead ourselves into a deeper relationship with Christ, right? As the Holy Spirit does that, it's about undressing ourselves, renewing our mind, and all these different steps. We learned that there's two devastating forms of lies that we 
we want to be aware of, and that's the lie of omission and the lie of commission. And, and if you don't know what those things are, we, man, you should go back to part 19 and really um, hear how we open and fillet those things open. And we are a people, we learn, that are called to move away from both of these devastating forms of lying because when we don't, we hurt ourselves, we hurt others, and here's the thing, we dishonor the God of the universe. We learned that there are two forms of constructive activity for our anger, which we looked at the scriptures, we call it righteous indignation, that we can use in a profitable way. One way we can use our anger or our righteous indignation is in the activity of prayer and intercession, right? We talked about, man, when you see injustices and things are wrong, get angry, but then pray. Resolve to be a prayer warrior. Intercede. Bring supplications. That second form we learned was to take our anger, take that righteous indignation, and funnel it into involvement in Christian churches and organizations and other causes that help to fight against darkness and evil. Use your anger to help bring about restorative relationships for the people of God and a broken broken world. We learn that we are people that are called not only to move away from stealing things all the time, but because of our great God, he says, that's not good enough. Stop stealing and start giving. Stop stealing and start serving. We learn that our greatest testimony and our brightest testimony isn't about what we stopped doing in our old life or what we gave up as if we gave up something really big for Christ, but our greatest testimony and the highest light that we can shine out of our walk is what we picked up for Christ. You track with me? What we started to do in the name of Jesus. And then finally, we examined the most important takeaway, and it still remains true today, the most important takeaway that I've ever, 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 ever given in a sermon in 14 years. And here's a snippet of it. It's this. You can't change or transform your heart. We can't do that. Only God can do that. But God won't change your mind and he won't change your heart without your glad, free will, Adam and Eve wrong using, our opportunity right using will that he's given us. But when we activate our will and we decide to make a decision towards Christ, he meets us there. And then he renews our mind, which leads to a transformed heart. And then from there, flows all these new activities because of your new identity and a new destiny is formed. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that brings us to today to part 20 of our Ephesians series titled The Postcard, right? The Postcard of the Christian life. And I want you to know that we are preparing to embark upon some life-changing content and some life-changing context as Paul prepares to sort of break down what life should look like for us as believers. What does it look like for me and you to be a Christian? This is the basic question of our whole hope, our whole faith. Because now that we know that we're Christians, right? No, no, not because of what we've done, but because of what God's done. You track with me? And now that we know that we're saved by radical grace and mercy, not because of our works, but because of the many gifts that God's given us, one of them being this gift of salvation, and because he's given us this exorbitant amount of riches and blessings and positions of adoption and so much more, Paul is going to now tell us how we should spend 
and utilize all these things. You with me? We're going to learn how do we budget all these beautiful things that God has given us. Like, did you know that every single one of us, that's, that's me, that's you looking at the screen, that's everybody else in between, every one of us have been given a specific amount of dollars and a specific amount of days here on earth. Did you know that? He's budgeted it, he's resourced it out, and he's decided how many dollars and days you're going to get. He knows exactly how many you have left here on earth. And once those budgeted dollars and once those budgeted days are all used up, that's it. We're gone. It's over. Finito, right? And so the goal is for us as ambassadors of Christ, sons and daughters of Christ, to be great stewards. We're stewards over these dollars and these days that God has given us for our lives. Now, we can spend these dollars and these days on extremely stupid stuff, can't we? Like, I, I know that I have, and if you're saying, oh, I don't do that, Pastor Brad, and I don't spend my dollars and days on bad things, you're not being fully transparent. We just learned in part 19, stop lying. We all, we all have done that before. But God says this, I'm going to give you just a little bit. This is your budget. This is the amount of dollars you're ever going to make on this earth. You're not making a dollar more than I have planned for you. These are the amount of days, and you won't. There's no scientist. There's no NASA project. Nobody's going to extend your life one second past what I've budgeted. And the question becomes, how are you going to spend those dollars and those days well? How are you going to spend those dollars and days well in your life? Like, folks, it's like, it's sort of like bowling, right, with bumper lanes with Jesus. When you become a Christian, God is saying, hey, my desire is to keep you out of the bowling gutters of life relationally and financially and spiritually. I don't want that for you. Therefore, this is what God's saying, therefore, I'm going to give you a spiritual bumper lane on both sides that, so that you can keep striking and getting spares and strikes and spares and strikes in your life all the way to the end. Like, can't you see he doesn't want us spending our time and our dollars and our lives in the gutters, in the gutters of what sin and shame and destruction. He doesn't want us to live that way. Instead, we need to be bowling with the protected lanes of what God has prescribed so that the gutters are removed and we can strike and spare out all the time in the name of Jesus. So here's the question. Here it is. How have you generally been as a steward? How have you been as a steward over the dollars and these precious days that God has given you over the past couple years? Now, if you have not been spending those dollars and days well, you need to repent. That's what you got to do, folks. You got to repent and begin believing in this reality that these are precious and limited resources and that they have an expiration date and you cannot waste them. Tracking with me? And if you've been generally spending these dollars in these days well, it's time to discern and to take seriously how you might even multiply them even more. So with all that being said, I want you to be welcomed right now and invited into this next step of our Ephesians series. We're going to be spending the next two weeks faithfully kind of opening up and setting a wise stage for a huge conversation about all that God is preparing us 
to learn. And my aim is going to be, coming up right now, is to kind of read faithfully, right? We're going to be a church that reads the Word of God. Read faithfully verses 1 through 21, all these verses that open up chapter 5. And then we're going to see what Paul is trying to communicate to the church of Ephesus this week and next week. So it's going to be a bit of a long read today, and we're going to lay out this overview. It's a transitionary sermon, like part one and like part, I think, 10. Therefore, I want you to think of the next two sermons as sort of a biblical postcard from me to you. Like, have you ever looked at a postcard and you see the image of a city on it, right? Like a San Francisco one, Portland one, Seattle one, New York City. And so you got this image on there and you could tell that it's a photograph probably shot from a drone about 3,000 feet in the air. It's from a 3,000 foot perspective. And when you get that, that postcard from your friend and your loved one, you look at it and you go, wow, New York City looks amazing. Or whatever that city is, it looks amazing. It's like that postcard is allowing you to kind of see the whole story of that city at a quick glance. And so that's kind of what we're going to be doing over the next two sermons. We're going to be having our wow, how big, how majestic, how wide, how deep is this Ephesians chapter 5 area from a 3,000 foot looking at it perspective. Because, lean in, I want you to be confident as a Bible reader and as a Bible, a biblical thinker, confident that you can understand what's going on before we venture to fully dive really deep into the text. But then after we do these two postcards, this this 3,000 foot perspective, we'll have about four to five Sundays across four to five sermons to really fillet these things open super deeply and properly and faithfully like we never have before. And then we'll be prepared, right? We'll be prepared to wisely jump in the car and start driving around the proverbial streets of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to have uh, a better context and content to really look at it faithfully because you would have had that 3,000-foot perspective. And then finally, we're going to walk around street by street and look at every single building in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's going to be a beautiful beautiful thing. So as we prepare to get going right now in Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to know a few things today. And that starts with the very first word in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's the word therefore. So what is this therefore going to be all about, you may be thinking, Uh, and, and why is it there? And to answer that question, we're going to uh, be having to go back and looking at the bridge between what we discussed in chapter 4 and where Paul is trying to take us in chapter 5. Because therefore is the bridge of understanding the postcard of the Christian life. If we're going to understand Ephesians 5, we've got to understand right where we came from in Ephesians 4. And that's where Paul gets into what I'm calling the postcard of the shoulds and should nots of life. We're going to be learning all these things that we should do and all these things that we shouldn't do. Okay, hopefully you're tracking with all this. So let's let's get going and let's do this by reading the Word of God right now. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, faithfully. Here's the Word of the Lord. Therefore, what's this therefore about? Therefore, because of everything I said in chapter 4. Therefore, because you've been exhorted to not have a callous heart, to not allow those feelings to become dormant where you don't feel anything, you have no godly conviction. Therefore, because you put all that away, put that old man away. Therefore, because I've exhorted that, you with me? Be imitators of God. Oh my God, be imitators of him as beloved children. Oh, I can't wait to do that. Let's keep going. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself 
up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, but it's been important, but sexual immorality and all impurity and all covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. Hmm. But instead, uh-oh, different prescription, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Oh, that's that. We're going to get lost in that in a couple of weeks. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, oh, oh, um, excuse me, or who is covet, who covets, that is being an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What a sobering, sobering statement. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Man, we want to be a church that knows what that means. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Oh, we don't want to be sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I want you to know that, okay? And try to discern what is pleasing, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Oh my goodness. Don't just, ooh, don't just stay out of the darkness. Be an exposer. How do we do that? It's radical. Verse 12. For it, excuse me. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. That sounds like kind of a tongue twister. We're going to get into there. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise. How do we do that, RCC? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Man, I want to know about making the best use of the time. Therefore, therefore, because of everything I just said, Paul's saying over the last 16 verses, do not be foolish like you did not just hear my biblical exhortation, he's saying, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. Don't do this, but do that. Ooh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Wow, with your heart. Wait, you mean my voice? No, he said heart. What, what does that mean? 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting, submitting to one another out of reverence, real reverence to God. That, that is good news. That is good news. This is the word of the Lord. And so we're going to pray and we're going to ask our God in heaven, our Father, to help us be excited, to be confident, and to be student learners about everything he has to say in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's do this and let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. 
and we are so thankful for your patience with us as sheep. We are thankful that you have seen us as sheep without a shepherd, and then you decided in your love for us to become our shepherd. That's amazing. You saw us as sheep that went away into harm and brokenness, so you became our Savior to reorientate us and to woo us and to lead us back into safety and wholeness. You saw us as sheep that couldn't take care of ourselves, and then with glad obedience, you became a great provider and physician. And so, Lord, there's no other righteous response for us to have than the glad obedience and declaration that says, okay, God, I'm so thankful. I'm ready. What's next? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? And, And who do you want me to be? And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you bless this time as we study this very important portion of Scripture. I pray that you make our hearts soft to what you have done first before you lay any of these things, Lord, on us about what you're calling us to do. Because you've already proven yourself to be so full of love and to be such a great provider. It's simply our turn now to get activated for you. And so finally, Lord, I pray that you help me personally today. You know how tired I am physically and in my disability. You know the weight and the things that I'm fighting through spiritually. You know where my heart is down. You know the areas where I'm discouraged. And I need you to show up for me today so I can be your man. And I want you to show up for your people. You always do, God, and you've always been faithful. We thank you in advance for your help. It's because of your beautiful, unbelievable name, we pray. Amen. Okay. So let's start off by getting the the cliff notes for what's happening in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And it sort of reminds me of like a roller coaster, right, that I used to go on at Magic Mountain in Southern California, where I'm originally from. And and, and even if you haven't been there, we've all hopefully been to some theme park where you have been in these super long rides. And so my experience that I'm thinking about was this ride called the Superman ride at Magic Mountain. I mean, folks, it was like a three to four hour wait in line. And so these, these, these lines snake back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the lines get so long. You ever remember this, how you start to cross by the same people every 10 to 15 minutes and you start having these little dialogues and then they walk away and then you see them again in 15 minutes. You ever done that? And you start to introduce yourself and like, what city are you from? And they're like, oh, and then you're, you're excited about this thing that's ahead of you. All right, so then after like four hours, you finally arrive to that last part of the line where you're starting to line up in those individual lines right before you get on the coaster, right? There's like 13 lines and you're going to pick, hmm, front of the roller coaster, back of the roller coaster. And so everybody's lining up and your heart starts to pump and you're feeling adrenaline and you're starting to freak out because it's almost time to get on the roller coaster. And then finally, right, you, you sit down on the roller coaster. Oh man, I remember this. You sit down and you start to buckle yourself up because you feel the weight of everything that's going to happen and you know here's the key word, that danger, imminent danger, is just ahead of you. So you're double checking that you're secure and you're so stable and you're putting everything together and then you look to the right at the attendant who's running the ride and they're always some 15 and 60 year old looking person and then you do a quick prayer saying, dear God, I pray that he has his high school diploma and that he knows what he's doing as he pushes buttons to send me on something that can kill me, right? And so you wanna be so secure, so stable and then finally you start to go up the roller coaster. It takes off, tick, 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 your heart's pumping, tick, 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 your heart pumping, tick, tick. And then finally, you go down and the danger and the thrill and the excitement and you're twisting and you're turning, you're flipping and there's danger and thrill all around you. 
We've all, we've all experienced that, right? Okay, so think of chapters four, five, and six as that portion of the roller coaster. It's the descending and exhilarating portion of where things take off really fast in our Christian life. And all of a sudden, God's coming out and he's saying, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you should do this and you should do that. Stop it, don't. And, he's, and you're like, you, you could be overwhelmed. The thrill is going on. You see, the Christian life, folks, is both dangerous and exciting. You see, chapters one through three that we learned, right? All those identifiable blessings, being adopted, chosen, redeemed, sealed, you're valuable, you're special. It's like waiting in the line for the roller coaster. It's snaking back and forth. It's, it's sort of slow. You're incubating, you're growing, you're understanding. You don't even know who this God of the universe is. And all of a sudden, you, you, your heart bursts to him. You have this desire to be in this roller coaster. So you get in line, but it takes time and you're cooking, and you're waiting, and you're preparing yourself for Christ's mission to be activated in you. It hasn't happened yet, but you're, you're excited. You're getting ready. It's called your purpose, folks. It's the time where you are making sure that you're having your proverbial seatbelt of your faith in God and your confidence in your identity in Christ secure. Because we know what happens if you don't have your faith secure and your identity secure and you get on a roller coaster, you die. You got to know that you're secure. You got to know that you're adopted. You got to know that he loves you. Okay, that's called sit. Remember sit, walk, stand? So that's the portion of the roller coaster. You got to sit and prepare yourself. And then we get to chapter four and it's like getting right up on the roller coaster and now you know it's go time and you're ticking up and you're ticking up and you're ticking up. That's what we did, right, the last couple of weeks. Hey, 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 put this away, put this away, put this away. You're like, oh my gosh, put all these things away. How do I do that? How do I do that? And you're getting super, super excited. And now it's time in chapter five to walk. It's time for that momentum on that roller coaster to go down and we're gonna flip, twist and turn all over the place and it is gonna be crazy. It's gonna be crazy. And most definitely we wanna be on that roller coaster, don't we, Redemption City Church? We wanna be living radically, thrillly, and sometimes dangerously for Christ. That's why, that's why Paul goes to such great lengths in chapters one, chapters two, and chapter three to highlight, to illustrate, and to illuminate everything that God has done for us so that we can sit so securely with him on this journey as we descend down the roller coaster of Christian activity and sacrifice. Listen, chapters one through three is all about making sure that we're prepared for this amazing roller coaster in a very broken world. Because until you can understand and really participate in sitting stable in Christ, you're not going to walk for him well. You tracking with me? You either are going to be doing it on your own strength and you're going to succeed, right? You're going to do it in your strength saying, I, I got this. Arr, I got this. And you're going to succeed and you're going to be all kinds of pride coming out of you, which is going to ultimately lead later on to your destruction. I don't want that. Or you're going to be doing it on your, uh, your own strength and you're going to fail and you're going to be sad, full with regret and despondent. I don't want that for you either. Like, can't you see when you are sitting securely in Christ, you're not working out or exercising yet. You're eating, you're consuming, you're getting fat in his grace and his love. Instead, that's a time to absorb him, consume him, have relationship with him. Because once you really get that, once you really trust him to be your savior and your provider and your father and your guidance counselor and ultimately your hope, only then are you ready to say yes, Lord, to this invitation to get super active in his kingdom in a way where you're going to actually 
last. Like I have two children, Aiden and Aubrey, right? And Jillian will be the first one to tell you that they are largely obedient to me for the most part. Aiden and Aubrey, they're very, very obedient with me for the large part. They pretty much trust me as much as a child humanly can trust anyone. But let's just be honest. There's times where they still raise their eyebrow at me as their dad, and they wonder and they question if even I know what's best for them when they are being constantly enticed as they look out into the world at all these things that are enticing them and wooing from them for their affections and hunting for their affections, right? Technology, kids shows, these things are wooing them and calling them to say, believe in me. And sometimes what daddy's exhortation is and what all these enticing things are, are different. And every once in a while, they raise that little childlike eyebrow and they say, why? Why do I have to do that, dad? Why can I do what I want to do? Why, dad, is that so important? Why do we really have to do this thing in that way? Why can't I do it this way? How important is it really to do the things that you are requiring me to do? And at some point, after all the explanations are provided to Aiden and Aubrey, the conversation always centers around this reality. Both Aiden and Aubrey will have to individually make a resolve in their little hearts that they're going to trust my counsel based upon knowing me personally, based upon our relationship and counting me worthy as someone to follow, based upon my track record. They're going to need to be secure in me as a father and my authority and my ability to protect them, provide for them, and ultimately lead them. Are you tracking with me? They have to look at my track record and say, I'm going to continue to follow my dad. He's trustworthy. Well, Family and friends, we are no different as God's sons and as God's daughters. We too raise our eyebrows all the time at God, don't we? Wondering if he actually knows what's best for us. So let me say it again to you so we can be really, really clear. Until you know the Lord personally, until you are really resting in the God of the universe and you're totally broken from yourself, until you get over yourself in your ways and you say, I'm making the resolve to put my old man away, to put my old woman away until you get to the point where you actually relish having authority over you and a father, a good, good father and shepherd over you until you fully embrace that you are a sheep. We are a dumb sheep who can't do anything without God until you make the, res- the radical resolve that you're going to trust in God's counsel based upon knowing him personally and counting him as worthy of your affections and worthy of your obedience until you make the decision that his track record in scripture is good enough for you to sign up for until you're like, man, I really enjoy being taken care of in this way and I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't want to be alone anymore. I don't want my way anymore until you get to that point. You're going to struggle. So if you're saying, Pastor Brandon, I want to meet with you. I want to have some counseling. I'm struggling in my life. Almost always, your struggle is your hands are closed instead of open to God. That's usually what's happening. You know, I have to often look at my, my, my kids when they question me, and I think to myself, like, why won't you just listen to the things that I'm saying? Don't you know how much more wisdom I have for you? Do you know that I've been living so much longer than you? Why are you challenging me? I've been around this world 
at least three times as long as you. And that's exactly what I think the Lord experiences with us as his children. It's astounding and it's sad how much we don't trust in our Father, even though he's supremely and utterly wiser than us. He's more gifted, he's more special, he's more valuable, and he's perfect in every single aspect of who he is, isn't he? And he's been around not just for three or four times longer, but like forever and ever and ever, like eternally. So here, here's the thing. Why on earth will we ever challenge what he says? But we do. Now, some of us have grown to the maturity and to the point where we're no longer regularly challenging God, Right? Man, if that's you, you are in, that is good, that is right, and that is a true place that you have matured to regarding a relationship with them. And that's worthy, worthy of a good report. But the reality is, many of us, many of the rest of us, we're not there yet. And even if you think you have arrived to that point of maturity, can't we all agree that we still have more to give over to Christ, more to hand over, more to submit to, more obedience to give, more trust to hand out? I think we all can say that. So my goal as I lead and I teach you through this glorious book of Ephesians, specifically chapter 5, is that we would all, every single one of us, that we would grow and gain radical momentum on this roller coaster of our faith increasing in God, that he's worthy of our obedience so that our Christian activity can go crazy up and down, flip and turn and twist so that we no longer feel any need to doubt him or to challenge him but simply to join him in what he's prescribed. Let me say this again. My goal for you and for me is that we would grow to the point where we don't question our God and that we had faith in what he's called us to do, that our Christian activity would go crazy for Jesus and we would no longer challenge him. That instead of challenging the Lord, we would instead trust him fully with our lives under a new identity with new activities. That instead of using the, that three-letter word, why, 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 God, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? Why can't I go here? Why can't I go there? Why can't I have this house? Why can't I have this car? Why can't I have this church? Why can't the pastor say this? Instead of saying why, 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 instead of those three words, we would supplement that or we would supplant that or we would renew a new three-letter word as yes that each and every one of us will get to the point where we say, all right, Lord, whatever you say, God, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. Yes, Lord, I'll serve your church. Yes, Lord, I'm going to submit. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do this for my husband. Yes, I'm going to do this for my wife. Yes, 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 and yes. And I tell my kids all the time, Aiden and Aubrey, all the time, if they just go with the path that I've set before them, if they do their part with their hearts, minds, and souls, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you good things and it's going to be better for you in the long run. I'm constantly inviting them to test me too. Test me. Test me. I'm your dad. Test me. Do what I say. Do the things I say. Do it with a joyful heart. Do it fully. Watch. Test how your dad, what he's going to do. See what I'm going to do. See and recognize that life is so much easier and joyful when you follow my instructions with glad obedience. And that's what the Lord is asking for us to do as well. He's saying, test me, test me. You want to see that I'm good? You want to put my word to the test? Test me and follow me. Test me and be obedient. Test me and give me your life. Test me and give me your heart. I'll show you. Therefore, here's my big starting question to begin the Ephesians chapter 5 
overview. Here it is. How is your rest in the Lord going? Think deeply. Are you truly trusting in Christ? Are you prepared to test that he will provide you with everything you need as prescribed in Scripture by moving into the activities he commands and seeing him show up? Okay, I want you to pay attention. Do you believe that Jesus is truly your Savior? No, 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 no. Family and friends, don't, don't let that question go by in your heart right now. Not what you're supposed to say at church. Oh, how are you? I'm blessed. He, he, he. No. Do you truly believe in your heart that he is your Savior? Like, has he healed you and begin to fix you in identifiable ways that you know only could come from him? I'm not talking about anything else, folks. Not this little, this little be a good person, good deeds. Has he done something in you that you know God did that? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God and the grace and the mercy of God radically in a way that you know my heavenly Father did that? Have you experienced his grace and mercy through Christ-centered Christian relationships when you know you didn't deserve something and then someone did something that just overwhelmed you to the point of tears and you knew, God, you did that. Have you experienced that? Has the Lord loved you and given you a hope? Do you have actual hope in your heart to continue forward as a Christian with your life? Do you actually have something in your heart that beats and pumps and says, I want to do great things with my life. I want to do great things in the kingdom. Listen, if you've experienced any of those things, your heart pumping, I want to do great things, or this little, this little tiny little mustard seed of hope that he's going to do something for your life, or you've experienced his love or his grace, if he's done any of these things, listen to me. If you've experienced any of those things, you have no other rightful response than to say, thank you, Jesus, and I'm going to do whatever you say. Thank you for giving me a hope. I'm going to do whatever you say. Thank you for giving me faith, and I'm going to do what you say. Thank you for rescuing me, and I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to knock it off with my bad behavior and my old man and my old woman, and I'm going to knock it off now, Jesus. I'm going to stop doing the things that you've asked me to stop doing, and I'm going to start doing the things that you've told me to start doing because I know that you've called me to do great things with my life. That's your purpose and that's your call in life, folks. It's not a mystery. You don't have to buy five books and go to all these different counselors to figure out your purpose and your calling in life because I'm going to tell you right now for free what your call and your purpose is in life. Your calling in life is to start doing the things that God tells you to do in Scripture and to stop and to refrain from doing the things that God says to stop doing in Scripture and to put them away. That is your purpose on earth. That is your call. Because when you participate in the Christ-centered undressing event of the ages of taking off that old man and putting on Christ and making your heart and your life and every crevice of your life habitable for him with your new identity under new activities, you are literally walking out the full spectrum of your purpose. You are establishing your calling. So who are we? We are a people 
called to respond in our activities towards things that God says we should do, while we respond in glad obedience in reframing from the things that God says we shouldn't do. Man, it's so simple. Simple gospel, simple preaching. For as we participate in taking off old habits and putting on new ones, we effectively walk out our purpose as God establishes our calling. Okay, so this leads to our next big follow-up question. Here it is. Based upon all these things that we've just talked about as we are preparing this overview conversation, here it is. Are you in a place where you desire, the keyword is desire, to move forward in life as you learn to engage in new activities that God says you should do while putting away activities that God says you shouldn't do? How ready and available are you to be a better steward over these budgeted dollars and these budgeted days, these limited resources that the Lord has given you? Now, I would say that most people genuinely want to do and be better people, right? The most, the most average person wants to do better and be better. They don't want to be bad. They don't want to be lazy. They don't want to be known as someone who's laggardly. Well, the Lord is offering us a very narrow path and way to be better and to do better. I'm going to say that again because he says that his way is narrow. It isn't the way of the world. Jesus, God, through Scripture, offers us a very narrow, select way to do better and to be better in a way that glorifies Him. And it's not easy, but it's possible in Christ. It's not easy, but it's possible in Christ. The Lord is telling us in Ephesians, now that you're safe and now that you've sat and known that I'm good and what I've done for you, you are set free. You are set free to start doing all these new activities and to refrain from all these activities, and you're not going to get hurt in that process. I'm going to be with you. Are you hearing me? Now that you've set, and now that you know who I am, and now that you know that you're so stable, so secure, you are free to be confident that you can do this thing called the Christian life. Now, that's not everyone here today. Some of us have not done this first step of really, truly sitting and knowing that he's God and he's our Lord in our lives. So if you're tuning in today and this is your first time ever thinking about the gospel or you're a baby Christian, you're struggling, and you're, you may need to go back and spend more time in the spout where the blessings pour out in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians and really let God do a work in your heart. He'll do that for you. Open your heart to him. Part 1 through 12 of this series will be a great guide. It'll be a great encouragement to you. Therefore, listen to me again. Hey, lean in. Pay attention. <laughs> no matter who you are, you got to sit and you got to know and you got to learn a lot about God. And then it has to move from information to relationship. And so, 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 so if that's you today, I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm going to dare you today, and I'm going to exhort you today because Paul is challenging you and exhorting you. Therefore, God is challenging you and exhorting you to get going. So get going. Back to those chapters and sit and know he's God. And if you know that he is and you've matured, then it's time to get going in your Christian activity. It's time to start doing things and to stop doing things. Listen. I've been studying and reading this portion of Ephesians chapter 5 for a while now. And as, as I've been thinking deeply, I've been, I was saying to myself, wow, Jesus, like 
man, we're the things that we're preparing to talk about, the things that you're going to prepare us to do, the things you're going to prepare us to stop doing is so intense. It's so immense. But God, it's so inspiring. I can't wait to talk about this in the form of a sermon. And that led me to thinking so much about this beautiful expression of a local body that we call Redemption City Church, folks. And it got me thinking to myself about my life, about our leadership team, about those who want to be a pastor in this church, about those who are a pastor of this church, about each and every one of you in the Beaverton-Hillsborough area and the culture around us. I've just been reflecting a lot. And it made me think about everything that we are doing right now as a young church. And it made me think about everything that we're not doing as a young church. But it also made me think about things that we really need to stop doing as a young church. And I'm just so compelled right now by God to let you know that today's sermon and the next sermon are so important. These postcards, these, these overview, setting the stage is so important because it's preparing us for some deep dives into literally the road of sanctification that leads to eternity back to a right reconciled relationship with our God. Because listen, I'm a firm believer in preaching and teaching and exhorting through books of the Bible. I've always been that way. Like topical sermons, they're great, they're important. I enjoy those, I preach those when they're appropriate. But my preference is clearly book studies of the Bible. Like I often tell those who I'm mentoring and teaching through the scriptures that wherever you're at in scripture is where you need to be at in your life. I'm going to say that again. Wherever you're at in the scripture is where you need to be focused in your life. Like don't try to be fancy and creative and and try to control all these narratives of what you think God is trying to teach you in different seasons of your life. Don't, Don't do that. Stop that behavior. Don't go around cherry picking what you think you need to grow and learn in. That's a dangerous, dangerous game. Instead, let the Bible grow you up into wisdom and stature and maturity by following its theological flow that's being inspired by the great teacher, namely God, folks. Let him do the work and just follow his teachings. Like, I would personally, I'd never decide on my own to go guest preach at a church and go, I'm going to go preach Ephesians 5 and I'm going to preach about fornication. Ha, ha, ha. Like, genuinely, I can tell you, I wouldn't do that. Like, what gives me the right to think I can just say, oh, thus says Brandon, I'm going to talk to you about fornication today. No. What, what, what triggered me to do that? What? Some, something that I'm struggling with in my personal life? Something that just, what, what, some offense that I went through? Some person wronged me and now I want to go teach out of my pain? No. Like, I'm not worthy to do any of those things. Like, it's a dangerous, dangerous game when we go around cherry-picking things out of the Bible. And I don't want that. That's a slippery slope for any pastor. But hey, pay attention. I'm not guest speaking. And a good portion of you today, you're not guest listening. This is our church. And I'm your pastor, right? And he, the God of the universe, he's our God. He's our Father. And he's our Lord on high. And on this day, For such a time as this, God has spoken through his word. You tracking with me? God picked this topic today by mere virtue. How can you say that, Pastor Brandon? By mere virtue that we've arrived here faithfully in the text without being fancy. We're here, and whatever the text says, we're going to deal with it faithfully and naturally today and next week and the next week and the next week. 
God has spoken to me, and he has spoken to you, and we've arrived at the sermon and this part of scripture exactly when he wanted us to be here. You know why? Because we're here. Because we're here, folks. We are his army, and we're prepared to get our marching orders. You tracking? There's a war going on out there, and he's our sergeant, and he's giving us marching orders, and our job is to listen and obey and prepare to lean in, to trust them, and then to activate them with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul with glad obedience and transformed activities. So I want you to be praying for yourself, and I also want you to be praying for the leadership here at this church, and I want you to be praying for me as your pastor, because I firmly believe with all of who I am that God is preparing us for something so beautiful here in our church. And if you are joining us as part of our challenge, or you're joining us because you're just a guest and you're online, hey, lean into this because God has something for you. And that's because somebody, I believe this, somebody listening today in our church is going to say, you know what, God? I'm going to put some things down today. I'm not going to live in the gutters anymore. I'm going to put some old habits away. That's why I know something special is going to happen in this series over the next four or five weeks. Some, some of you are going to say that. I'm done. I'm putting these things away. But you know what's just as beautiful? I believe with all my heart, there's going to be some people today that say, you know what, God? I'm going to start picking up some things that I know you've been asking me to pick up for a really, really long time. And I'm going to get going on these things in my life spiritually. I'm going to get going on these things in my life relationally. I'm going to get going on these new activities. And the combination of the people of God here at Redemption City Church saying, I'm going to start picking some stuff up that I need to be obedient in. And some other people saying, I'm going to start putting some things down that I need to be obedient in. The combination of people putting off their sin and putting off things that don't belong and people picking up righteousness is going to come into a beautiful crescendo and something so special is going to be birthed in RCC. Because God is bigger than COVID-19. Are you tracking with me? I know I haven't seen you in person. I know we're not sitting shoulder to shoulder. I know that we're not hearing Vanessa lead us in worship in person and that we haven't fellowship and broken bread in that way. But our God on high is bigger than COVID-19. And we are going to be faithful as a church. And God is not on trial. He will accomplish what he set forth for our church no matter what. So we're going to march through this. You hear me? We're going to march through and over this pandemic season. We're going to stay faithful to God and everything that he has for us. Now, before you start freaking out with anxiety, saying, oh my gosh, here goes Pastor Brandon. He's probably, what what do we have to do now? And I'm getting a little anxiety. I'll tell you what, God is so patient with us. He is so, so patient with us as we go through our transitions of life, as we become more and more sanctified. In other words, God is so patient in how he grows us into the image of his son as he helps us to put our old life away. He's going to help you. But you have, but you also need to notice something, okay? You got to notice and start to figure out this relationship thing you have with Christ, namely caring about it and making it your centerpiece, your focus in your life. So God can keep moving you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in your walk with him. And for some of you, this sermon is going to be the anthem. It's going to be that anthem, that trumpet sound that awakens you to grow deeper. And I don't know about you, but I love getting better at things. I love accomplishing things and expanding myself in things. So this is an opportunity for me to do that. And it's going to be an opportunity for you to do that, to get a better relationship with Jesus. Do you want that? Oh, when are we going to get to the text? We're going to get to the text when we get there faithfully. Do you want more 
with Jesus because we are living in a cultural climate and a time, folks, where there are so many train wrecks going on in people's lives. There's the train wrecks of divorce and infidelity and adultery and promiscuity all the time. I don't want that for you. There's the train wrecks of sexual sin constantly, gender identification, confusion, and all sorts of sexual perversions. I don't want that train wreck for you. There's the train wrecks of lying and cunningness and deceitfulness and and selfishness, and I don't want that for you either. We are living in a time where Satan is working really hard to be really bad so you can be really hopeless so he can wreck your life. And let me tell you, I'm right there with you trying to resist the devil all the time, resisting my flesh all the time. But I want you to know that if you are a legitimate, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian, you're good. You're going to make it. And that's because you are sitting securely with the God of the universe. So if Satan tries to take you out, hey, lean in. If Satan tries to take you out or lead you astray, God loves you too much to let that happen. That's where your confidence comes from. I want you to check out these important encouraging scriptures that echo that. Here's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So we got to believe that by faith. Here goes Psalms 32, verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from my trouble. Look at the salt. Look at the look at the psalmist, the psalter right here. You surround me with sh- shouts of deliverance. Selah. You know what selah means? It's done. Reflect on that. There's no more to say. How powerful was that? He's our hiding place. He preserves us in trouble. He's sur- he's going to surround me with declarations that I'm delivered. Selah. It's finished. Wow. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And finally, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you, that's us, shall succeed. Oh my goodness, this, we're not having a series about Isaiah right now. No weapon, no, no, no abuse, no shame, no wrong, no gossip, no pain, no death, no financial bill, nothing. Nothing that's formed against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage. This is our hope. This is our inheritance as the children of God. And their vindication from me declares the Lord. Like, can't you see? The Bible is permeating with incredible hope, incredible protection that you are so secure. God loves you too much, folks to let you be taken out by your own weakness. So praise God for that. Because if you're a Christian, the Bible says that God loves you too much to let your stuff take you out. You hearing me? He ain't gonna let it happen. God's gonna say, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by your sin. And I've seen it in you for a long time, like the entire time, like before you were born, I saw your sin. And that's why I'm lovingly working to purge it out of you day by day, helping you to heal and to grow. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm going to rescue you, my son and my daughter. 
it reminds me of a conversation that I had with my daughter, Aubrey, about six months ago. And so I went up to her room, and it was about 10.30 at night, and I just had a, a feeling like I wanted to check on my daughter. And so I opened, she should be asleep. And so I opened the door, and I went into her room, and she jumped out of the bed really, really fast and ran to give me a big hug. Now, before you think, oh, what a beautiful story of a sweet little girl who's running with affections to hug her dad, let me tell you how this, the rest of this story goes and how it finishes. You see, the ways that she jumped impulsively out of that bed and ran to meet me at the door with that hug, I quickly discerned that the way she did it was a sign that she was hiding something. I had caught her in something. And it didn't take me long. In fact, it took me one glance to see a LED light illuminating under her bed. And you see, she had been having her tablet on her bed when she wasn't supposed to, and she was watching the Disney Channel. And when I opened the door, she threw it under her bed because she didn't want to get in trouble. And so I immediately called her out on it. And I said, hey, Aubrey, were you watching your tablet? And she said, yes, Dad. And I said, you weren't supposed to do that. And folks, the appropriate shame was all over her face. And that's when I took the opportunity to lean into my daughter at 1030 at night, and I shared this principle with her. I discipled her and I disciplined her and I said, hey, here's the cool thing, Aubrey. You're a Christian. And she kind of looked at me bewildered. I said, here's the thing, Aubrey. You're a Christian. So God wasn't going to let you get away with it. And so God kind of gave me this little inclination to come check on you. God does amazing things. And it was his love to compel me to come in the room at just the right moment. Do you see how much he loves you? Because if you would have got away with this, watching this TV and doing this wrong thing that you felt was right, you would have fulfilled a sinful desire, my little girl. But it would have been a wrong desire. It would have been a wrong desire. So even if it doesn't feel good right now in this moment that you're in trouble with me as dad, even though you're losing your tablet now for a couple of days, even though you're experiencing these losses and I'm catching you and there's punishments and there's all these things, this is God's grace to you. This is his grace to you. Don't be deceitful, my baby girl. I want you to be honest. And, and guess what, Vanika? That's what I call my baby girl. Guess what, Vanika? She kind of looks at me. I said, for the rest of your life, even when you're a big girl and you're a grown lady, because you're a Christian, that's what God's going to do for you. He's going to do that fully and finally. He's going to always come and rescue you and say, you've went too far. Stop it. And that's called your compass, Aubrey. And that's a good, good thing because he loves you and he's not going to allow you to walk beyond where you want to go if you listen to him. Oh man, that is good news, right? That's legit. Like our position in God, in our family, in his family is so secure, is so stable, not because of our efforts, not because we're so good, but because he's so good. And even when we are tempted and we fall into sin and, we're not, and we are weak, he is strong. Because God truly looks at your life and he looks at my life and he just desires us not to be tricked and swindled by the devil. So he gets involved. So when we're feeling conviction and, like, and the pain of our sin, that's a good and right and true thing from God. God sees goodness and glory and so much potential inside of you and so much potential inside of me. And that makes him radically focused on our holiness. So he's, he's hunting us down in all the right ways. He's not going to settle for anything less. You know, you ever felt that like, oh God, leave me alone. He's not leaving you alone. He loves you. And that is good. And that is right. And that is a true gift from heaven. Therefore, he sends us a reminder to not 
mess with the devastating tag team of sin and Satan. Don't mess with Satan. Don't mess with sin. Instead, he says, put your eyes on me, children. Put your eyes on me. Hey, listen to me. When you do make a mistake and when you do stumble and you do the wrong thing, folks, hey, lean in. When you make a mistake and you stumble and you do the wrong thing, God's grace is always going to be right there for you. Always is going to be right there. He's going to be waiting for you like the, prodigal, like the prodigal son coming back to the father. He's going to be waiting there for you. The Bible says that there are new mercies every single day. Now, the last time I checked, I'm, so, I'm sorry, the Word of God says there's mercies new every morning. The last time I checked, at some point on this planet, it's always morning. Therefore, if it's morning all the time, somewhere on the planet, and God is everywhere, what does that mean? Mercies reign every second of the day, somewhere on this planet. Therefore, grace and mercy is available to you right now and tomorrow and the next day and even in your weakest moment. Remember, God's grace is pushing forward constantly and the mercy continues daily. So if that's you today, you've been sitting and you've been stumbling and you've been sneaking around, this sermon is God's grace to you saying, repent, come back to me today because the Lord wants great things. Hey, husbands, hey, fathers, hey men, you got secret sin going on right now in the dark? Huh? Are you doing the wrong thing? Are you involved with pornography? Are you involved with sexual sin? This is God's grace to you today. Listen to me, lean in. Stop it. Repent. Come in the light. Confess. And get back on track with God. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he wants to do great things in and through you. But you got to be habitable for the Holy Spirit. You know, one of my favorite stories that really kind of embodies about trusting in God and depending on God and not trying to do things our own way comes out of the book of the Bible of 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. And it's a story of um, Asa, a young boy who took over a corrupt kingdom. Do you know that story? He took over a corrupt kingdom and he did some things and he became a leader. He did some really legit leading and eventually he found himself challenged by this really big, great army of millions of people. He didn't know what to do about it, right? So he, uh, so he goes to the Lord and he goes, man, Lord, I'm totally outnumbered. We're outgunned. What should I do? I know you're going to see me through this. Help me. And so the Lord replies back to Asa and he says, hey, Thanks for gladly looking to me, my son, for, for guidance. I appreciate that you came to me. I appreciate that you counted me as worthy as someone to seek guidance from. So, Aza, because of your faithfulness, because you trusted in me, because you sought me for guidance, I will be your army. Wow. Are you kidding me? The Lord said, I will be your army. And God brought him great great victory. And Asa's life continued, and he built a beautiful, amazing legacy. And then, so many years later on, Asa is getting older and he's wiser, and now in chapter 16 of of 2 Chronicles, a much lesser army comes into play. So this army was way smaller compared to the big army that Asa already took down, keyword, with God. And I really want you to focus right now, as I continue the story, on what happened with Asa as he grew older and wiser. Because this is a strong warning for us when we mature in Christ and we think we can start doing things in our own strength. Okay? So, so here we go. So instead of seeking the Lord for guidance about this much lesser army, Asa made the resolve that, you know what, I'm wise now. I'm strong. You know what, I remember I conquered in my youth much bigger things. So I, I don't need to go see God. Instead, I'm going to go to a pagan nation, and I'm going to ask for help. 
You see, instead of getting spiritual in prayer, he got political. And he said, man, they got good resources. I can make a deal out of this. They can help me take this nation down, and I can get a reward. So he made his resolve. And he went to these neighbors, this pagan country, and he, and he dwelled in a relationship with them. He partnered with them to go conquer the enemy. And so he aligned himself with them, the pagans, instead of aligning himself with God. And what do you think happened? What do you think happened to him because he did that? Probably like he failed, right? He didn't. He succeeded. In fact, he experienced great success. This is the, the Bible story goes like this in 2 Corinthians. Asa conquered that little nation. He smacked them uh, with that partnership with the pagans. He accomplished every single thing he set out to do alongside this strong pagan army. Asa accomplished his goal. He became victorious, and his legend actually grew. And let me tell you something. Lean in. There is nothing more scary there is nothing more dangerous. There's nothing that keeps me up more at night as a pastor than when I watch sin-filled plans outside of God actually work in his people, in his children. Because you know why? Because we become confident and cocky in all the wrong ways because of our success, believing that God must either be with us in the decision and he's radically not. Or we start to believe the false narrative that I guess he doesn't really care. Look, I did what I wanted. I chose to do this little sin. It wasn't a big deal. Look, I'm winning. Look, I still got money. I didn't get caught. I got a promotion at my job. I guess it's okay. That's not okay. And that's what Asa did. And so Asa gets away with it, and he accomplishes all of his goals. And soon after, a prophet comes to him. He says, wow, hey, Asa, that, that was very close, Asa. You could have easily been taken out. Do you know how close it was that you could have lost your life? You could have lost your army? But you accomplished your goal, and you took care of yourself, and you found great pleasure in doing it alone without God. But behold, God has looked upon your decision and your circumstances and your compromise as an issue in your relationship with them. Actually, you know what? Let's take a quick look right now at 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, because here is the rebuke that comes to Asa for trusting himself instead of putting his trust in God. And this is going to be so important because as we go into chapter 5 and we look at the things he says, stop doing this. You shouldn't do it. And we start hearing God say, you should do this. If we make the dangerous compromise, leaning, if we make the wrong choice and say, I got this, I got this, I don't need your help. I got this. And then we experience some success in doing that. Folks, we're going to lose everything. Let's look at the, the strong warning and the rebuke in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 19a. Here it is. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Wow to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now, that is a beautiful start to the verse, isn't it? This verse should inspire and fire us all up today, right? The eyes of the Lord are literally running across the entire world, and they're constantly looking for someone who's ready to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the scripture says God is eager. Look at the character of God. God is eager to give strong support to a person in that disposition. Oh, that's good news. So does this verse say that you have to be super smart and super strong and have all sorts of um, skills and abilities and all that? No, no, it doesn't say that. That's not what it says. The Bible tells us clearly in this passage that your heart has to be what? Pure and blameless, and you got to belong to him 
You got to depend on him. You got to submit to him. And so the prophet is telling Asa, that was, key word, that was the Lord's heart for you. That is his natural inclination, his natural disposition towards you. But I want you to notice that this verse on the screen says 16a. That means 16 abbreviated. It means it's not done on the screen. Let's continue to see the rest of the verse because it's going to be sobering. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Uh Uh-oh. But you have done foolishly in this. What did he do foolishly? Not keeping his heart pure and blameless. For from now on, you will have many, many wars. You have wars. Uh Uh-oh, now we're seeing in juxtaposition to the text, our God's eyes are always looking to and fro from people to bless, and he wants to give strong support. You see that? That's what his desire. That's his first inclination. He's a good God. He wants to give. He wants to provide good gifts. But unfortunately, God said he's not doing that for Asa because Asa decided to be foolish and try to do things in his own strength. The prophet is saying on behalf of God, you've chosen your own way. You've chosen your own way, Asa, and because of that, your lifestyle and your legacy will be one of calamity, one of wars, and one of turmoil. And the story goes on, so you know, after this gentle rebuke, the prophet Asa, you know what he did? He did, did he repent? Did he, did he admit his mistake? No. He hardened his heart more. He got mad and angry because of his loss. And instead of taking this rebuke, as another opportunity for God's grace, the way that I came and rebuked my daughter Aubrey, he hardened his heart. He refused to repent, and he began to oppress his people even more. And today there are activities and mindsets. You you hear me? Today there are activities and mindsets in your life that you shouldn't be doing in the way that you're doing them. And the Lord is going to provide rebukes to that in the scripture coming up in the next couple weeks. They're going to be good for your conscience, and they're going to, be, going to be equipped with power from the Holy Spirit for you to do something about them. But you've got to lean into that. And you're either going to harden your heart as I preach through this. You're going to go, no, no, I don't want to. Or, and you're going to hurt people, you're going to hurt yourself, and you're going to dishonor God with disobedience. Or you're going to soften your heart. You're going to open your hands, and you're going to say, it's me, Lord, and I'm standing in the need of prayer. It's me, Lord. I need you. I submit to you. Change me. You're right. I'm wrong. You're the hero. I'm the zero, and I'm ready to be different. And then, just like that, snap, bang, grace and mercy is going to come to you, folks. If you have that posture, you're right, and I'm wrong. You're the hero, and I'm the zero. I see what you say in your scripture. It's plain to me. I'm not doing it, and I want to. Right there, just like that, grace and mercy will flood upon you, and the power of the Holy Spirit will equip you to do every good work. We learned that, didn't we? So who are we? We are a people called to relish in the beautiful reality that we serve a God that desires and maintains a disposition that searches to bless his people. He searches to and fro, high and low, with this desire. Isn't that great? However, when we sin and fall short of the glory of God, we must be quick to recognize the Lord's loving rebuke through Scripture, the people He's placed within our lives, within our conscience as well, through the Holy Spirit. 
as a means of his beautiful and sweet grace in our lives. And I promise you, the Lord is looking today to and fro from those who are going to love him and obey him. And you and me can be those people. You and me could be the people that he's going, I'm looking to and fro. I'm looking to and fro. I got blessings to give out. I got strong support. I want to make your life so much better. And when his eyes survey and survey, and as he scans the world, I don't know about you, but I want his eyes to lock dead on me and say, that one, I'm that one, Brandon, strong support. I'm going to offer him that one. Put your name in it. I'm going to offer strong support. And I want you to know this. As you learn to actually love the Lord your God, more and more and more and more, it becomes easier and easier and easier to obey him. The more you love him, the more you will be able to obey him. Watch John, the great, great apostle, break this down in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, we just need to talk about that for a moment before we move on. We need to get this fully squared away or we can't handle chapter five. I, I, we cannot handle the next two sermons if we don't understand this principle. And by the way, this is still just the postcard from a 3,000 foot perspective of chapter five. We aren't even close to getting deep into anything yet, but lean in. The love of God is revealed and sealed in your radical obedience to him and obeying him is not supposed to be experienced by you as burdensome. I'm going to say it again. The love of God is sealed and it is um, revealed in how you obey him, how you do the things he's telling you, but also it's not to be experienced by you when you do it as something that is burdensome. In other words, God is saying to you, and he's saying to me, we should do this, and we should not do this, and whatever he's asking should not be a burden to us. We should look at it as a privilege. Not a burden, but a privilege. Now, when I tell my kids certain things, I can tell it definitely feels like a super burden to them, and they go, oh, dad, come on. I don't want to clean my room. I don't want to do that. But the scripture is saying it's not supposed to be that way in our relationship with our heavenly father. It's not supposed to be that way. But that's how we often act sometimes, isn't it? We often complain and we whine and we sulk and we say, oh, this is hard. I don't want to do this. But the Bible is saying, don't do that. This is a privilege. This is an amazing privilege that God has given us. Some of us even approach the Bible on, when things are difficult and we get to parts of the Bible in the text and we read the Gospels, we read 2 Corinthians and something's difficult and we don't like it and we say, um, does, it really, does it really mean that in the Greek? You know how people do that? Oh, I don't think it means that in the Greek and we want to argue and we want to rationalize and we want to minimize and do whatever we can do to make the Bible fit our biblical narrative so that we can do what we really want to do in our flesh, in our desires because we don't want to do what God's saying. But listen, you and I have to get this biblical truth deep into the crevices of our heart. God's instructions are not burdensome. We got to get this. They are a gift, a sweet gift from the God of the universe that gives life and life abundantly. So if you are far from God right now, or you are trying to figure this whole Christian life thing out, please know this about the Christian God the faithful God, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the eyes of God are looking 
to and fro this entire planet, not to burden you, not to overwhelm you, not to hurt you, not to punish you, but to give you strong support and to bless you. That is our hope. He wants to bless us, not condemn us. But do you know, but do you know what actually is even more incredible and more, and more massively burdensome? Infinitely more than God because God's not at all? Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know what's burdensome and massively tiring? Sin. Sin is what's the massive burden. That's, that's the weight. And I promise this is true. Sin, incarnality, rebellion, impurity, closed fist, my way, are the true burdens of our lives. But you know this already, don't you? You've experienced what it looks like to choose your own way. Yes, you have. Yes, I have. You know what it costs when you purchase that ticket of sin. Maybe it's pleasurable for a moment, but you know that it hurts you and it tires you and it deadens your soul. That's the burden. You know the cost. In fact, Bible, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin, when you purchase that, you get death. That's, that's a burden. That's a huge cost. In other words, when we sin, we get paid all right. <laughs> when you sin, you're going to get paid, but you're going to get paid an automatic deposit directly into your bank account of a negative balance of joy. That's what you get when we step away from what God desires for us. And that's why God is always trying to be so faithful in reminding us through Scripture. And he's saying, hey, obey me, obey me, obey me, because my instructions aren't burdensome. Your disobedience is burdensome. I don't want that from you. Follow me. Out of burden into lightness. He says, he says my burden is that my yoke is easy, is what it says in the Gospels. So when we follow God, we have this awesome opportunity to live lightly as the Hebrews chapter 12 weights coming off of us that, in, that easily entangles, entangle us thing happens. That's what he's inviting us into. But know this, our God on high will not be mocked and we most definitely are going to reap what we sow. Therefore, people of God, I want us to not experience having to reap so many harvests of negative burdens because of our faulty decisions and our faulty desires activated into sin. So here's our final takeaway today. While it is tempting to rationalize the Bible, fitting it around our particular fears or reservations that we feel are difficult, we must remember that God's instructions are not actually burdensome. The fact must reign, I mean, excuse me, that fact must reign over our feelings. Above all, God desires to support us, release us from the despair, pressure, and pain of a broken world. And his instructions and his commands, no matter how weighty, are the grace-filled conduit that leads us away from those calamities. Ultimately, God desires to bless us, not condemn us. And we must never, ever, ever loosen our grip around this truth. That's good news. And we need to land the plane right now about what our belief is about this book we call the Bible. Let's try to do that today. Come on, think right now. Get deep. Be honest with yourself. We've got to land this, this, our belief right now about the Bible. Is the Bible, is it a great guide and compass to holiness and joy to you? What do you think? 
What do you believe? Is it a great guide? Is it a great compass to holiness and joy? Or is it an instrument of condemnation, death, and a bunch of work? What do you believe? Will you choose to respect and honor the Bible and submit to it? Or are you going to make light of it, dismiss it, and mock it? Like, can't you see? Whatever you answer to these questions that I've just said, will you, think, will you believe it's a great guiding compass that you will obey? Or will you believe it's an instrument of condemnation that you will reject? Will you respect it and honor it? Or will you make light of it? The answer to whatever your answer is in the deepest parts of your heart is, gonna, is really going to reveal everything about where you've been, everything about where you're at, and everything about where you're going. And you have to make RCC, folks, people leaning in multiple states right now, you have to make the intentional resolve to wrestle and to work out your salvation. You tracking with me? In order that you might see and savor that Jesus is who he says he is. Today's message is titled, The Postcard of the Christian Life, for a very simple and obvious reason, namely, Postcards are great examples that represent images of cities and the beautiful reality of that location that's shot from an aerial perspective. It's a beautiful shot of what that city looks like. But though it's true that the postcard definitely shows beauty and perspective from a distance, make no mistake about it, they never replace the real thing. A postcard of New York City is nothing like experiencing New York City with boots to the ground. Therefore, there is so much more for us to discuss. To, for us to discuss. You tracking? Much more. Well, we've said, like, oh, I get it now. Thank you for this message. I got it. Now I'm going to go run in my own strength. No, 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 no. You just looked at an image. You ain't walked around the city yet of Ephesians chapter 5. There's more for us to learn that we got to start doing in our lives to mature as Bible-believing Christians. And let me be honest with you, there's a lot of things that we got to stop doing if we're going to mature as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians because God has done so much for us, right? So much. Because he's, been, he's given us these seven identifiable blessings of being chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and sealed and all these things. Because he's loved us and he's trusted us with a great position of calling us adopted children of God. He's allowed us to participate in the roller coaster of this thrill of the Christian, the life. He counted us worthy to be ambassadors of the kingdom, to be the agents of reconciliation and redemption to, for all things. And because he's allowed us to tick, 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 tick up this beautiful roller coaster and then to descend down into Christ-centered maturity, we have to look at all these things. Are you ready for this? We have to look at all these things and say, I'm yours, Lord. We get to confidently descend down the roller coaster of the Christian life, confidently accepting the twists and the turns and the upside down portions that are hard and difficult and to endure and to stand victorious as Christians. That's what we get to do. It's a privilege, family and friends. In fact, you know what the Bible says? Hey, count every single flip, every single twist, every jagged, bumpy part of the roller coaster, Count it all as joy. Count the trials, the tribulations, the storms, the difficulties, the muck and the mire. Count it as joy. Therefore, therefore, we need to keep moving the needle in understanding and seeing 
things that the world says that we should lose hope in, and we got to start to turn that, flip that, flip the script, and see the joy. So next week in part 21, we're going to walk through the message that I'm titling The Postcard of the Shoulds and the Should Nots of the Christian Life. We're going to look at the postcard of what we shouldn't do really, really faithfully. And we're going to look at the postcard of what we really, really should be doing really faithfully. And our aim is going to be that we will learn more about our Father's heartbeat on the practical things of the Christian life. And that's the good news. From here on out, it's going to be get really, really practical. Hey, this is how you should talk. This is how you should act. This is how your marriage should be. This is how you should treat your children. It's going to get really, really practical about how we act and walk like Christ. And um, though we're not going to fully dive in super deeply next week, we're going to lay out all 21 verses. We're going to start pulling them apart, and then we're going to learn how to put them back together into a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's my firm hope for myself and for you that when we conclude chapter 5, we're all going to be supremely equipped to look and to be more like Jesus than ever before. So today we had a wise conversation right? A sobering conversation. It's not about me being all energetic. It's about us talking faithfully, setting a wise stage so that I can push. I want to push hard. I want to push into Ephesians 5, and I want to exhort with all my heart and all my soul. So let's prepare for that, and let's get serious this week about our holiness. Let's bow our heads, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is perfect. Your word is not broken. It's not interrupted. And you've called us to submit to it. Lord, we all have a decision to make, and it's to decide if you're good. Are you good? Is your word good? And will we submit to it? Lord, it is my hope, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you help us to resolve and make that answer secure. Yes, Lord, I'm ready to go. Lord, whatever's holding us back, help us to march over it and to conquer it. Whatever we are afraid of, give us confidence to be uh, strong children of your kingdom. Lord, there's going to be some really difficult things that you're going to call us to do. And there's going to be some really difficult things that you call us to not do. And the only way it's not going to be a burden, and the only way that we can do it is if we don't activate our own strength, God, but we lean upon you. We don't want to be like Asa in Second Chronicles, getting cocky and confident and despondent in, our, in and of ourselves. We want to be getting strong support and blessings from you when you look to and fro on this planet. Let every person listening today have your eyes fall upon them with strong support. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.